Caution. Listener discretion is advised. This isn't your typical goody-two-shoes homesteading podcast. I'm going to talk about homemaking, homesteading, and autonomous living, but I will swear, talk about anarchy and conspiracies, discuss touchy subjects, make bad jokes, and have off-color guests. If you're looking for the standard Pinterest-perfect essential oils crunchy homeschool mama host, you won't find that here. If you like a rougher, more raw approach to conversation from a tell-it-like-I-see-it host with a learn-as-you-go mentality, then you're in the right place. Let's all do more for ourselves and rely less on the broken systems that try to control us. That being said, shit might get weird, and I hope you like it. I'm Lanny, and this is the Greener Postures Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me again for the Greener Postures podcast. Today, I want to talk about the gifts that we give ourselves. We've got Christmas coming up, and a lot of us are thinking about gifting things to others. And that's what our last episodes were about here on Greener Postures podcast. And I want to talk today about the gifts we give ourselves and our family on a daily basis. And what I mean by this is the things that we do to prepare for tomorrow. So anytime I'm in my kitchen... It's when there's the clearest example of this. When you're preserving food, you're wrapping a gift that you can open on another day. You're making the slowest form of fast food, the slowest convenience food that you could imagine when you can something that you can then later open and eat. When you ferment something that you can just pull out of the fridge and add to a meal. Those things are gifts that you're giving your future self. They're not something that you enjoy today. The work is done today and yesterday if you're planting and growing your own vegetables. It's an ongoing process. And then at some point, it becomes something that waits for your future self to use, to need, to want. And that, to me, is extremely satisfying. And I know there's a lot in this current culture that it's, it's lost, um, Delayed gratification is seen as a negative thing. Things are instantaneous. Um, Our entertainment, our communications with others, our meal planning. Um, You can just hop on and order Uber Eats in most places and have something delivered to your door. You could put zero thought at all into what you're going to have for dinner and an hour before you want dinner, decide what you want and order it and have someone bring it to you. That is not delayed gratification. You could say maybe waiting that hour, you're delaying the gratification, but I would disagree. For me, when you plant a seed in the garden and you wait for it to grow, to either eat it or then further preserve it, that seed is a gift that you're wrapping in soil for yourself, for your future self. Not just for yourself, but for your family, sometimes for your neighbors, for your friends, sometimes for the squirrels or birds. You're wrapping a gift for mother nature to do what she does best. You're working together with mother nature, with the seasons, with the universe to wrap a gift for yourself in the future. 
and when you ferment, it's the same thing. Natural bacteria is present on your produce that you grew or you bought from the store are there waiting for you to give them the right environment so that they can grow and thrive. And they're there to help you preserve that thing and make it more delicious than it was before and keep that for years to come. Now, I don't want to get too directly into fermentation because I'd like that introduction to that to be its own episode because I am so passionate about fermentation. That's my number one favorite form of food preservation. That's what got me really moving forward toward true homemaking and homesteading. And I want to save that to have a really um, love letter to my fermentation process on another episode. Today I'm talking about as a whole planning for the future and being prepared and not out of fear, but out of abundance. Harvest season here when we have a lot of fruit on our fruit trees, there is so much abundance. Even if we worked around the clock, we could not eat every pear, every apple, every cherry, every blackberry, every blueberry, every raspberry, every strawberry. We could not eat every bit of fruit on the trees and vines and bushes out here. We share it with the nature around us, but we also share it with our future selves by preserving that and in different and creative ways. We might dehydrate some apples. We might make fermented applesauce. The dehydrated apples are we're saving for in the dark of winter. The fermented applesauce, we're wrapping that gift for us to open in just a few days. It starts fermenting, takes 24, maybe 48 hours max if your temperature is cold. You move it into your fridge and you can start enjoying it then. And you want to eat it within about two weeks. There's so much sugar in fermented applesauce, it will turn into alcohol if you leave it, which is kind of enjoyable in and of itself. It's very fizzy, a little boozy, and just fine. When I can apple pie filling, I'm not canning it for me to open it the next day and make pie. I could just make a pie if I wanted to. When I can apple pie filling, I'm canning those apples so that in the dark of winter, when nothing grows, when the days are short, when we're cold, when we want to remove ourselves from social situations and from outside responsibilities outside the home, when we have that hibernation feeling, we can make a warm apple pie from real ingredients that I know what's in that jar because I put it in there. And from our own apples that we grew on our property, we can make something warm and delicious and nutritious a treat from the efforts of our past selves. And that truly is a gift that your past self gave you, the future self. Anytime I pop a new jar of something open and I hear that suction sound before the pop, I am like, it's exciting to me. It's not wrapped with Christmas wrapping. I can see what's inside. It's not a surprise, but in some way it is. When I try a jar of something for the first time that I haven't made before, I'm, I'm excited to try it. I know what it is, but I haven't tried it before, so I'm not sure how it turned out. And it is an exciting thing to pop that open and have something be amazing. For instance, this year we made strawberry jam and we used our strawberries, but we also use strawberries from a local farm. They are not far from here. They do pretty much exclusively strawberries. Their strawberries are phenomenal, but I didn't have, well, 
With our two kids enjoying the strawberry patch, I didn't have enough strawberries this year to be able to make the amount of strawberry jam that I wanted to put up for the year. So I went to this local farm and I bought some as well. And so their strawberries were really good and so were ours. And I used Pomona's pectin. Pomona's pectin is a natural citrus pectin and it is different than other types of pectin and works with low sugar recipe. So I was able to make my strawberry jam with about a fourth of the amount of honey or sugar that was required or asked for in a recipe. And I was able to make it tailored to our tastes and needs. So when I opened this jar of strawberry jam for the first time in the fall, I was so thrilled that it tasted like strawberries. It was so different from anything that I could have bought at the store. It tasted like strawberries. It was a little bit chunky. I needed to kind of stir it to get it all incorporated again. And it had this slight sweetness to it and a very strong strawberry flavor. It wasn't too jelly. It didn't have the texture of jello or gelatin. It was spreadable and delicious and it tasted like strawberries. Now, if you've never had homemade jam, if you've never had low sugar jam that doesn't have xylitol or stevia or some other fake sweetener, you might not even know what I'm talking about. But when you buy jam, conventional jam in the store, I don't even enjoy because it just tastes very, very sweet, very sweet and strong. The sugar hides the actual sweetness of the strawberries themselves. This honey was a complement to it. It was a small amount of real honey. It was strawberries. It was this pectin and that was it. And this jam is so good. So, so good. And so when we open that jam for a sweet treat, when we make a almond butter or peanut butter and jelly sandwich on my sourdough bread, when we make thumbprint cookies this Christmas, I'm going to have a whole array of jams to, to put in those thumbprint cookies to make different flavors all jams that I set aside myself, all jams made with real ingredients from our property or sourced with a thoughtful mind and all made with honey and a very low amount so that we can taste the actual fruit and that little hint of the season that I wrapped up and saved for us. And that's special. So besides just being enjoyable, what are reasons to wrap these gifts for yourself, for your future self? And how does that all work? Because I'm talking about canning in-season produce, but would you believe it that today, last night, and yesterday, I was doing stuff in the kitchen that was all things, both preparing our meals for the day, but also planning for meals for our future family. Meals and products, right? So yesterday for dinner, we had meatloaf, mashed potatoes, carrots, and bread. And so that meal came together like this. The meatloaf was in the freezer. It was two years old. Not my proudest moment. We usually use our meat within a year. This was more than two years old. I made it when I was pregnant with our son that was born in November of 2020. So it was before made before then. And it was, a, a, I call it a hidden meatloaf. There's, there was grass-fed beef liver, Um, grass-fed beef, onions, um, and vegetables like shredded carrots and um, spinach, all in this nice meatloaf. It's an easy way to get everybody to get their veggies, get their organ meat, and not have to have liver and onions. So this was the last of the meatloafs I made. When I did that, I made a huge batch, and I froze them all into individual um, sizes. 
so that they can just be put in the oven and baked, either thawed first or frozen. And they were raw when they were frozen. So then I fully cooked them and then sliced it. And I fried those slices and I made a sandwich. So the meatloaf was a gift that my pregnant past self had saved for my family in the future. And we very much enjoyed that. We enjoyed it with sourdough and sourdough is days in the making. If you really want to go back, I started my sourdough starter about a year ago and I've been continuously caring for it and feeding it so that I could plan a couple days ahead from when we would want bread to start the dough and stretch it, rest it, shape it, proof it, bake it. And then here we are ready to slice it. And the bread was a couple days old. So I toasted it in the oven with a little butter and some garlic. I call garlic tomb or garlic tome. It's a Lebanese style garlic spread. That's just garlic, lemon juice, and oil and salt. And I have a video on my YouTube channel preserving today of how I make that. Tomb or tome is spelled T-O-U-M. So that's how you could find it on my YouTube channel. Just search uh, preserving today, T-O-U-M, and that should pop up for you. But that stuff makes making garlic bread extremely easy and also preserves the garlic. So I had made that in mid-November and that's still in the refrigerator. So the sourdough had been made days before. My garlic tome had been made days before. The meatloaf had been made years before. And then where are we? Mashed potatoes. When I made mashed potatoes a couple days ago to have with our steaks that we had, I made twice as much as I needed. I put it in the fridge. And since then I've made potato pancakes for breakfast for my little guy twice. And I still had enough to put it in a pan and heat it up. I put a little extra milk and thinned it out to stretch it a little farther. And it was enough to get us another meal. And the carrots were homegrown carrots that I had canned um, in the, that was, I think, July or August that I canned those with just a tad uh, bit of honey. And they were good. Cooked carrots heated up on the stove, a slight extra sweetness. So last night's dinner, yeah, I made dinner. I made dinner like I would have made it from ingredients from the store, except each of those ingredients I made myself. The exception to that was barbecue sauce that we had in the fridge. There's this, I think it's called noble made barbecue sauce, and it's not made with any high fructose corn syrup or sugar at all. The only sweeteners are fruits. So it's um, a paleo friendly, as the bottle says, or Whole30 approved. But really what I see is real food in the ingredients and their barbecue sauce is really good. So until I learn to make very good barbecue sauce and can it, that's what we have going on there. So besides salt and butter, I pretty much everything that came from the kitchen for our dinner table last night was things that I planned ahead for. And so during the day yesterday, um, I was busying myself in the kitchen still, but I wasn't having to make things from scratch for a big meal for dinner. Um, I had in mind what I wanted and I had taken that meatloaf out of the freezer the day before. So I kind of knew what would come together at the end of the night. The carrots were a last thought when I realized I wanted to have a little more vegetables on our plate. So what I, was I doing during the day? I was preparing things that would be used in the future. Not long ago, we got about 400 pounds of grass-fed beef. And including with that on my cut sheet, I filled out that I wanted any and all bones and I wanted the fat. So they don't make it pretty for you. It's not wrapped in um, white butcher paper like and labeled like all the other cuts of meat are. You just get this clear garbage bag of fat from the cow um, that's roughly trimmed. 
So I started to thaw that, which I don't need to thaw too much. I thawed in the fridge um, partially because actually fat is easier to work with when it's still partially frozen. Uh, less slippery and gummy and more hard so that you can cut it up. And that's what I did. I trimmed off any muscle meat that I saw. I trimmed off any organ meat from the kidneys. And I trimmed this fat and tried to remove as much as the... There's papery type stuff in between the fat that's kind of like silver skin is on muscle meat. Um, move as much of that as I can and cut it into really small pieces. I put most of that in the crock pot and some of it in a Dutch oven, that one on my stove, and I'm rendering tallow. That is beef fat that has been rendered is then called tallow. So I had some leaf fat or suet. I had some muscle fat as well. I decided to throw it all in the same pot, but trimmed it better than I did last time. And I'm being really careful to cook this very slow and very low. Because the last time I rendered tallow, I feel like I cooked it a little bit too long and I didn't trim it well enough and it got, it had a beefy smell to it. And if you're going to cook with it, having a little bit of a scent to your cooking fat is not a bad thing at all. But having that when you're trying to make tallow balm, when you want to make chapstick, when you want to make um, some, something that you're going to put on your skin, you kind of don't want to smell like a roast. So I'm trying to do this in a different way. And I'm also doing the wet rendering method. So in my crock pot, there's also water and salt, and then I'll put it in my fridge and wait for it to harden. The fat will float to the top and harden into a cake. I'll pull that off, scrape any impurities off the bottom, throw away the water, and I'll probably do that again. I'll put it back in the crock pot with more water and more salt and see if I can get this a little cleaner this time so I can make some whipped tallow body butter um, because that is the most nourishing thing that you could possibly put on your skin. Uh, I'll go into that as well in another episode. I want to talk all about tallow, especially as body products. But tallow is a really nourishing fat for eating and for cooking as well. Works with pretty high heat. It's good for frying. So it's something that I like to have on hand. And I already have about two quarts left from our last time rendering. So this again won't be used for a while and it has a good long shelf life. If you do this right, you make sure there's no water or moisture in it at all for things to mold and it goes in the pantry. Same with lard, which is the same thing. Rendered pig fat, rendered suet from a pig, which is the kidney fat or muscle fat, which is fine as well. Um, and the pigs is called lard. M many people are more um, familiar with lard. Lard works less good as skin care, but very, very good for baking and cooking. Fries at a very high heat. So that's also in my pantry from a, from a pig that we had gotten. No, from a friend who had wanted to render lard together, had more than she needed and brought the fat over. And we had a fat, chew the fat party where we all talked and we cut the fat. We took our own little bit home and people put them in their crocks and crock pots and rendered them at home. So we cut the fat together and I rendered it and I got, I think three pints that time. And I still have one pint of that left as well. These things I do for myself because then I have nutrient dense cooking fats. Just, I want to fry some eggs. Butter's expensive. I don't have a dairy cow. Hey, tallow, lard. I also have chicken fat that stays in the fridge. It's harder to get the moisture out of that. I haven't figured it out yet. You have these things that you've planned ahead for so that they are there, ready, and accessible. You're making your own fast food. You're making your own processed food. When you go to the store and you buy a bottle of vegetable oil and you buy whatever you want to cook in that, you buy a loaf of bread, you buy a pre-made meatloaf, you buy um, dehydrated mashed potatoes, you buy um, frozen carrots. All those things that we're talking about here, I did that, but ahead of time. 
And the beauty of doing it ahead of time and wrapping those gifts for your future self is that you don't have to do it in a rush. It's not like getting dinner ready at a certain time. It's just throughout the day, I kind of put a little in, in the kitchen, just a little as I have time. Please people keep in mind, I have a two-year-old. It is hands-on with this guy. He's very clingy lately and he wants to nurse all the time. He wants me to hold him and he wants to help with everything. And there are things that he's starting to understand and be actually helpful with, which is amazing. Like loading and unloading the dishwasher, you know, there's only so much he can do. Cause he's like three feet tall. No, he's not three feet tall. He's very little. His head isn't even up to the counter height yet, but he's starting to be able to reach the dangerous areas where we keep knives and other things. So it's very hands-on with him. And I can't just devote all my time to doing these wonderful long projects in the kitchen. No, it's just, I, I cut that fat before he woke up and I got it in the crock pot. Every time I walked by it, I looked at it and I stirred it and I made sure the temperature was on. And I plugged the cord back in because the baby had unplugged it three or four times, once for over an hour. So that was a little bit annoying. So what I'm trying to say is that when you're planning ahead for the future, there's not really a rush. There's not, unless there's ingredients that are going to go bad, there's not really this, um, this timeline that you're working on. It's just with your convenience. For instance, when I make broth, I'm never making broth because I want the broth for a recipe. I'm making broth because I had bones and I don't want to waste those bones. Sometimes I'm making broth because the bones are accumulating in the freezer. So sometimes I don't even make broth when I have bones. I put the bones in the freezer and save them for later, save them for when I have enough. I make that broth and I preserve that in some way. And that used to be just freezing it, freezing it into containers. And then I got the super cubes, which I'll link to in the description of this video because I, I love them so much. There's silicone freezer molds that are portioned to exactly one cup or two cups, depending on the one size that you buy. You can freeze your broth into those and then move those cubes into a Ziploc bag or um, vacuum seal them and leave them in your freezer. And then you know you have a two cup square or you have a one cup rectangle and you grab which, exactly what you need for a recipe. Now I found that pressure canning my bone broth has been really convenient because I can do pints and quarts so that I have two or four cups handy and I'm not using my freezer space, which this time of year is important to me because I do have a lot of meat in the freezer right now. We just made 60 pounds of sausage. We have, you know, probably 12 of the 20 birds left that we, uh, chickens that we processed this summer, I have 400 pounds of ground of uh, beef. So I don't have room for just tons and tons of broth. And I like to have tons and tons of broth because I use it a lot and I drink it, um, a daily. So, um, not having that in the freezer has been really nice. Having that on the pantry shelf has been nice. But the point is, is that I make this broth and I'm using, I'm, I'm making it so that I have it as a prepared ingredient for later. So instead of running to the store because you're gonna make gravy and buying a carton of something they call broth that has a bunch of ingredients that you don't wanna eat, you've made some really nourishing food and it's there waiting for you on your own store shelf. So me making this tallow now and hopefully having soap and body balm and cooking fat for later is a huge deal. And it's simple and it's easy. And all it takes is a little pre-planning. And the biggest gift of all that you can wrap for your future self is learning new skills. That's something that I'm always, always working on as things strike my interest. And that starts always with one question. How's that made? 
Something that I use all the time. If I've never thought it, how's that made? Right now, I'm currently diving into cheese making. I talked a little bit about that on a previous episode, but I'm like, my mind is just opened. Like my third eye was like this, like (laughs) just like a vortex is opened into my head and I'm ready to take all of this information in. So I am striking while the iron is hot and I'm just going to dive deep into cheese making. And is that because I have a whole bunch of cow's milk because we have a dairy cow? No, but it's because my mind is ready to receive this new information about cheese making. And I'm going to learn these skills now. And that is a gift I'm wrapping for my future self when we potentially have a dairy cow. Why would I wait until I'm milking every day or twice a day and trying to learn all of the ins and outs of what it means to own a dairy cow? Why would I want to learn how to use all of that milk at that same time? I wouldn't, that would be terribly overwhelming. If I learn cheese making now with less than perfect circumstances, which means using maybe pasteurized milk from the store because I can't afford $13 for a gallon of raw milk. So I buy the $3 conventional milk. Um, Why don't I learn now when the stakes are lower? There's no pressure. I could stop or take a break at any time. I can throw away a gallon or two of uh, pasteurized milk, three or six bucks, instead of the gold that we raised ourselves and and brought onto our farm, you know, from the dairy cow um, udder into a bucket into our house, like to waste that milk or ruin that milk would hurt quite a bit more than ruining the milk that's from the store that's $3. Although those things do matter, I find value in learning and making mistakes. So that wouldn't have been, wouldn't be a waste to me if we had to throw away some cheese. So right now I've made cream cheese. I've made other cheeses before, if you call it that, like kefir cheese and lebni, which is a strained yogurt cheese. Even lebni balls preserved in oil, things like that but I'm ready to make a wheel of harder cheese. I'm ready to make aged cheese and I'm extremely excited about it. So I have some supplies on the way. I'm buying, uh, I got a book that I'm excited about. I'll share some information from that, uh, do a little book review later. And I'm gonna just dive in. I'm just gonna dive in. I'm gonna learn all about the process of cheese making now because someday I do wanna have dairy animals. I do wanna have a dairy cow or dairy goats or sheep. Maybe all of that. And I want to know how to use that milk to make yogurt and cheese and butter, cottage cheese, sour cream, cream cheese, all the things that I buy from the store that's a dairy product. I want to know how to make that from scratch. And that's a lot. You can't just learn all of this at once. To say that we can learn this ancestral wisdom all at once is silly. This is stuff that people used to grow up seeing in their households. Think about it like my kids know how to use the laundry in the house. They can figure out how to use a washing machine, even if they've never done it before. They've seen me load the laundry and put the soap in and close the lid and turn the dial and press start. They've seen me transfer that into the dryer and turn the knob and press start. They've seen me use dryer sheets or wool dryer balls or any combination of other things that I've tried in our laundry. And so when they're adults, they'll be able to figure out how to use their washer and dryer in their house. The dishwasher is the same. A stovetop. 
your kids see these things being used all the time. But what didn't we see when we were growing up? I didn't see my mom make cheese or yogurt. I didn't see my mom make fresh pasta from scratch like she saw her family do. My mother is an Italian-American, first generation. She grew up on the East Coast with a big family who owned a store underneath the apartments they lived in. And she remembers seeing wine being made and put into barrels. She remembers seeing cheeses and different kinds of cured meats, prosciutto, cavcola, hanging in the cellar um, under the, the grocery store. She remembers seeing people hand-making gnocchi and pastas. She didn't do that in our kitchen. And even her mom didn't do that in their kitchen after they moved away from the family. They moved to the West Coast with her stepdad after her father had passed away years before leaving that the family and her grandparents died you know that was lost with them because my mom's mom my grandma was more a modern woman and she fell into what's suggested by the commercials and by society is that to be a modern woman you work and you buy your products at the store you outsource all of the homemaking so that you can have a job. And that is the woman that raised the woman who raised me. So then I'm two steps removed from the people making pasta and and dry curing meats and making cheeses and making fermenting wine. I'm two steps, two generations away from that now. I didn't see it with my own eyes. But when I started to question the systems that were in place and when I started to question what has been fed to us or to me for my entire life to tell me what is important, to climb a corporate ladder, to go to college, that maybe you shouldn't have kids or maybe you don't need to have kids yet. You know, wait to get married, wait to start a family. Everything needs to be perfect. You need to make a lot of money, pay off those student loans. I questioned that all along as I was going. And when it came to the realization that the way to have more freedom is to take more responsibility, it no doubt resonated with my mind to start in the home. Things that you use on your body, in your body, in a daily basis to keep you alive, things that you use as products to wash your clothes or put on your skin, um, things that you make to consume, how, where does your water come from? Where does your heat? That's the most basic way I could think of to take responsibility back and to have more freedom. The freedom of putting the effort in to make something myself by taking something back that would be so easy to go to the store and buy. I have the freedom of how making that item exactly how I like it. I'm going to make mayonnaise. Great. I don't like vegetable oils. I don't think they're good. No poofas, as they say, polyunsaturated fatty acids. So what do I make it with? I could try to make it with tallow. I could make it with an avocado or an olive oil. I have choices. I'm going to make it with my egg yolks from my chickens that are more than free range. They're more than cage free. They're free chickens that just put themselves to bed at night in their coop. We open the door in the morning and they go wherever they want on our property. They forage and they eat. They have grass, even this time of year in December because of where we live. And 
those eggs are more nutrient dense than whatever they're putting in for eggs into the Hellman's or Best Foods mayonnaise at the store. And so when I want something that I could buy at the store, the first step to learning more is to just think, how is that made? Can I do that? And at first it might seem like no, because there's so many steps back from that. But once you start to look at things, you realize there is so much we can do. And maybe it's not the exact same product. Maybe it's something similar. It's something that could take its place. And to me, there's, that's where freedom lies. That's where you have controls. And that's where you stop supporting systems that you don't agree with. I still shop at the grocery store, people. I don't know how many times I've said that on other podcasts when we're interviewed. People have this understanding or misunderstanding about homesteading. That means that you're off-grid, that you live like Grizzly Adams, and that you don't go to the grocery store. And while I believe that would be amazing, that's not my ultimate goal. I, I want to be able to go to the store if I want to go to the store, but I like to be able to make things myself because I think it's better. It's better for me, and it's better for my family. And to have that be attainable, I need to take all these steps to do the work now that will save my future self some trouble. And that is the gifts I've been talking about. Preparing, preparing foods for your family, preserving foods to be able to be used at a later date with canning, fermentation, dehydrating, um, salt curing, and other kinds of processing that involves your refrigerator or your freezer. Start there. If you want to pre-plan and prepare food and you don't have skills like canning and fermentation yet, well then just make some freezer meals. Make extra soup next time you make soup and freeze half of it. You have another meal that's scratch made soup another time. Soup freezes really well. Make bone broth and freeze that for later. Start to learn new skills as you are interested in them and then implement those as well. And that's it. Learn things when you're interested, learn new skills, and think ahead a little bit. But first, dial that down to just start being curious. If you look at what I do or what other homesteaders do on Instagram and you think, oh, I could never do that. But if there's some part of you that wants to, just pick something and start. And don't talk down to yourself and say you can't do it. If I can do it, two generations away from anyone who did any of this, any of this ancestral wisdom is no longer passed down. Two generations away from that. I spoke about my mom, but my father was raised in foster homes. He didn't ever see this. My dad's comfort meals are blocks of Velveeta, which came in white packages from the government delivered to his foster family. He, he didn't have anyone making things from scratch. He was eating government rations. So I didn't have this innate understanding of how to preserve food or how to cook for myself or where food comes from. I had to learn as I became interested and that's all I did. If you know my story at all, if you've heard me on other podcasts explain, you know my oldest son had food allergies. He had anaphylactic response to something when he was 18 months old. And that's only a year and a half. That's before he could talk. 
and he couldn't tell me what was going on. And I had to figure it out because the doctors were not telling me why this would happen. And I wanted to know why, why would this happen? I figured if I found the why I could understand the how to fix it, how to care for him and just take this EpiPen and avoid those top eight allergens was not good enough for me. So I dug and I dug and I dug and that's where I found gut health and and probiotics and I started to do fermentation and I was scared. I thought I was going to poison somebody. I thought I was going to grow botulism. I didn't understand how that worked. Botulism can't grow in an acidic environment. I didn't find that information until five years after I was fermenting. And that's why I scream it at every person who asks me to tell them anything about fermentation. Don't worry about botulism. You can't grow botulism in an acidic environment. That information was sure, I'm surely right there in front of me the whole time. But the way I learn is it just doesn't come to me until it's ready to. So I'm, I'm not fighting that anymore. I'm just learning things as they become interesting and I go with it. Right now, after years of work learning and years of work preserving, I'm enjoying this really luxurious life of basically having a maid. <laughs> this luxurious life of having a cook in my own house, of all these, these pre-processed foods that are ready for me to use, these convenience things. I feel like I could make an old-timey um, Stouffer's a frozen dinner uh, commercial or something, you know? Oh, tired after a long day? Put your feet up and let Stouffer's do the work. It's like, ooh, tired after a long day? I can put my feet up and let past Lanny do the work for future Lanny, for present Lanny. The present is a gift. And I wrapped it for myself. If we add this idea of food security, of supply chain shortages, of all of these other things that are questionable about our food system, recalls and E. coli and salmonella and other problems that there are with industrial food processes, including nutrient load that's in our food, it no longer is what it once was. And that's because farming practices have changed so much. Animals weren't meant to be in warehouses. Animals weren't meant to be on feedlot. Animals were meant to be on grass and pasture and outside, breathing the air, drinking real water and foraging. And that's not happening anymore in mass-produced meats, eggs, dairy. And there is diseases that come along with overuse of antibiotics and, and the bad way of taking care of animals, the unnatural way. So how do I opt out of those things and start to think for myself? It's small. So yeah, where, do, where does this leave me? Supply chain shortages or disruptions, layoffs or shutdowns. You start to realize how weak the system is, how fragile it is, and how it can be taken down at any time for any reason. If you also realize that the powers that shouldn't be or maybe don't have our best interests in mind, maybe that makes you a little bit afraid. Fear is not good for you people. It's not good for your health. It's not good for your mental state or the way you think. Stop the fear and start preparing. It doesn't need to be out of fear. It needs to be out of interest. It needs to be out of wanting a better life. And that's what it was for me. And so 
learning these skills are a way for me to take back some control over the things in my life that are just handed to me. And to think that you have to outsource all the things that happen in your home is maybe not the best way of looking at things. Maybe not anymore, if it ever was. We get back to the root of what's important, and that's raising our own families, caring for our own kids, taking education back into our own hands, taking food making back into our own kitchens, taking raising vegetables, maybe some animals, if you have the space, into our own hands, at least learning how that works. If you're in the city growing sprouts in a mason jar on your counter, wheatgrass, growing wheatgrass, uh, having an herb garden in containers, having one of those tower gardens under a light in your house, growing microgreens, learning how those things work. So if you ever have an opportunity to be in more space, then you already have the skills that you need to get going. You all have the basic understanding. You can really get in, just dive into it. Don't wait for that perfect moment to make things better. Start now. Start learning those skills. Those skills, as you learn them, the information you learn now is a gift you're wrapping your future self. And if you want to be less reliant on systems that are fragile and maybe that aren't serving you well anyway, if you want to ingest less poison in your food, learn to cook. And if I really take this homesteading, homemaking back farther than I, I mentioned with my son's allergies, it was learning to cook for myself. It was the interest that was piqued when I started working in the Lebanese restaurant and they made stuff from scratch, soups from scratch, and I didn't know how broth was made. I'd never seen that done before. Oh, it's not out of a carton. Oh, it's just with meat and bones. Oh, okay. You know, cool. You can make that yourself. So find something that's interesting to you. Whether that's making a grilled cheese from cheese and bread that you bought at the store, or whether that's learning how to make a wheel of cheese from raw milk that you milked from a cow. There are so many variations. There are so many ways to just dive into learning something new or to dive into being more prepared. And right, if that makes you feel good, go to the store and buy extra. Listen to my pantry management episode. Buy extra of things that you use. Label and mark them and rotate them correctly. Shop from your own pantry first and replenish that backup store. Then you know you have at least a few weeks, maybe a few months, of food on hand if there is some disruption that you're ready to go. If you lose your job, you don't need to spend money on food for a while. You've got it. If you get stuck, snowed in on a snowstorm, then your family won't have to eat just top ramen and macaroni and cheese. You'll have the things that you normally use. So instead, you can be baking cookies together. And being snowed in and baking cookies together is pretty fun. So take some of the stress away from your life in the future by doing some work now. And don't make it stressful and not fun. Just pick something. And just do a little something. And again, you know, I'm not telling you to do things. I'm telling you if you're interested, if you want this to be better, Here's my suggestions, and I hope that they've been helpful to you. And when I think about this kind of stuff, like when I was doing the tallow yesterday and I was having um, that really good dinner made by me, but made by me over time, like over so much time, over more than two years, growing carrots, making meatloaf from grass-fed beef that we had 
have is long gone other than that meatloaf um making um and it had beef liver in it from a friend's cow we went and picked up the liver when it was still warm on their slaughter day because somebody else didn't want it and we cut and trimmed that and i pureed it to get it ready for that meatloaf and it was amazing and to have that still be enjoyed by my family still being nourishing my family this much time has passed yes fresh food is best yes there are some nutrient loss with frozen food yes 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 okay great now we've established that still go do things and prepare and have things ready for yourself so that you can kind of like take every day a little more easy. If I didn't feel like trimming the fat and starting to render the tallow yesterday, I didn't have to. There wasn't any extreme importance because I still have tallow and I still have tallow balm that I buy from a company called Tubes and Co. And they're amazing. There is this glorious, like relaxed, Everyone thinks, oh gosh, you must be so busy. If you're homesteading, you're so busy. Look at all the things you have to do. And I'm like, yeah. Well, if you want to live in that state where you're rush, rush, rushing around, that's like city mentality. Like, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't have a career. I don't have to be at my job at a certain time. I'm homeschooling my kids. I do have a son that goes to a learning center part-time. So yeah, we have to get there roughly within a half an hour of a certain time and pick him up within a half an hour of a certain time. That's the most structure I've had to have in my day for so long. You know, there are things that call me at certain times, like stretching my sourdough or like uh, straining some cheese, but everything can be worked into my schedule. It's really relaxing. Do I let the chickens out at 8 a.m. today? No, it's still dark. I wait till the sun comes all the way up. I wait till I see them out in their chicken run because then I know they want to come out. Maybe it's cold. They're not even ready yet. It's easy. It's easier than it's said because it's built one brick at a time, one new skill, one new task, one new thing. You're building these things and they're working into your daily routine. I used to use a juggling analogy all the time, which is really funny because I don't juggle, so it doesn't really make any sense. But you start juggling with one ball. You add another ball and you add another, and then you're juggling with three balls, which is pretty typical. If you want to be one of those really cool dudes that adds another ball, you don't start over and throw all the balls in the air at the same time. You have the three balls going, you're looking at that rhythm and you chuck that next ball in and let that kind of follow into your rhythm. So when there's a new skill I learn and a new thing I want to start doing from scratch, I learn it. I see how it could fit into my already existing, you know, system. And then I toss it in. And if I drop the balls, I pick them back up and I start again, one ball at a time. So thanks for listening. Reach out to me if you have any thoughts on this. I really love to hear from listeners. I'm looking for guests for the show. So if there's anyone in mind that you know of that you would like to hear more information about, maybe that hasn't been on a podcast before, maybe somebody in the homesteading or homemaking or scratch made community, um, let me know. Tell me if you have any ideas. I would love to hear about some new people. And I'm just really thankful for all of you, all my listeners, all the feedback I've gotten so far. Leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Tell your friends, share the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Until next time, try to learn something or do something that will be a gift to your future self. Thanks for listening. I'm Lanny, and this was the Greener Postures Podcast. 
You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Greener Postures and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Preserving Today, by going to youtube.com slash at Greener Postures. Questions, feedback, or would you like to be a guest on the show? Send me a DM or you can email me at greenerpostures at pm.me. I'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in attending one of my online workshops and joining the exclusive Greener Postures Telegram group chat, go to my website, greenerpostures.com slash workshops. I hope to see you there. Burst into light.